welcome. This is an awesome podcast. This yeah. is one of my favorite ones. <laughs> to the Jeff. It's a lot of whiskey, Jeff. Macalino. Jeff Macalino. 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 Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another great episode. Thank you for listening and thank you for uh, spreading the word. And thank you for dropping a rating on Apple or Spotify. I don't check those much, but when I do, I see the numbers bigger than it was last time, which I guess hypothetically shouldn't go any other way, but we're going to act like it's abnormal and cool. Thanks for subscribing over at the YouTube channel as well. Um, and all the social medias. Got a fun one for you today, or maybe an educational one, but also a fun one, uh, because we get into some very interesting stuff. Um, Richard Anderson, he's a scientist, man. He's a microbiologist, uh, molecular biologist. Uh, he also, his studies also emphasized biochemistry. Um, yeah, so a lot of science in this one. Um, this was also a, an episode I recorded completely sober, I believe. I think. <laughs> um, he wrote uh, in last year, April 2022, he wrote a book, The Evolution of Life, Big Bang to Space Colonies. Um so he kind of ranges from the very, very, very beginning, 3.8 billion years ago, uh, and uh, all the way into what humans can do to uh, sustain the species and move on uh, from planet Earth or, you know, add on to planet Earth. I don't know. Listen to him. He sounds smarter than me. Um, but I ask him some questions about all of it. We talk about a lot of different things. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, starting with the Big Bang uh, evolution, uh, we talk a little bit, and, and this certainly doesn't have a pointed view one way or the other, but we talk a little bit about uh, the potential of God or a creator uh, being involved in all of that. We talk about, of course, aliens. Um, and then we talk about my... Um, uh, uh, planetary living philosophy, whatever. Um, oddly enough, now I am so ticked off right now. I've been looking for the last 30 minutes for my notebook that always literally has been sitting next to me since day one of the podcast, and it is not on my desk, and I have no idea what happened to it. Um, I've been filming a lot of different things where I've been using the desk a lot more so I'm just praying I did not throw it out because, first of all, I have notes in there from every podcast, pretty much. Um, and because I had my sketch in there that I show to him uh, of a spaceship that I had drawn out when I had had a dream about being abducted by aliens. And the spaceship follows one of the design models, uh, one of the two that science has uh, put forward that actually could work, uh, in space. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Just, you know, either my brain just, just works really well or, uh, or maybe I, I had some insight into, uh, 
I don't know. Maybe I tapped into something. <laughs> I'm sure that was it. Enjoy this episode. It's a good one. Let me know your thoughts. Uh, please always reach out to me with your feedback. I love it. You know what else I love? It's Flavihar. This is the club you'll be telling your friends about. Taste exciting craft and premium spirits. Access exclusive drinks and learn the ways of a true whiskey aficionado. All of a sudden, you'll find yourself with a personal home bar from the best of bourbon, scotch, rum, gin, or tequila. And heaps of story to tell. Stories to tell. Sign up with Flaviar using the link below so you get a discount for being a listener of the Jeff Macalino podcast. Also, sponsoring this podcast is Ibotta. This is the cashback shopping app that earns you cash back for things you were already going to buy. Literally, I made $4 yesterday stopping at two stores and buying things that were on my shopping list. Not extra things. Um, look, it, it doesn't make sense not to use it. Use the link below. You get a special introductory offer for being a listener of this fine podcast. And you'll be glad you did because, you know, again, I, I've mentioned my mother. I think she said she's well over $500 now in the time she's used Ibotta. Who couldn't use an extra 500 bucks? Come on, man. Come on, man. Um, yeah, download the app. Click the link below so they know I sent you and you get the special deal. I will mention, too, I teased it and the link is below. Uh, I have been hired to co-host a daily Monday through Friday show. Uh, it is from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern, uh, currently Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and 7 to 8 on Wednesday. Um, sometimes those times are not exact. If we have a little technical snafu, he's in a studio. I'm at home. It is called the man show live. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I co-host from my home. We've done some interesting things. Um, we have both injured ourselves already. Um, nothing serious, just mostly skin burns. Uh, but we've done things like test out a panini press, um, a food steamer. Uh, we ate some MREs. That was fun. Not really. Uh, we had a zombie survival kit, which is uh, something that I use on the show all the time because it's got a handy knife to help me cut open all the packages and uh, a fork and spoon uh, that I use to eat. Uh, things like a Goya canned ham. Oh boy, that was gross. I like their beans though. I'm not hating on Goya or endorsing Goya. I'm not taking a side, you crazy psychopaths. Not not Goya, the, the right and the left. Never mind. Enjoy me and Richard Anderson, and I'll see you on the flippy side. All right, everybody, I am very pleased to welcome Richard Anderson to the Jeff Macalino podcast. How are you today, Richard? Hey, I'm great. Good. I am, uh, I am excited to, uh, to speak with you. Um, you're a little, uh, well, I don't want to, you're, you're uh, a little more uh, educated, maybe I'll say, than, than most of my guests. Um, but I, I, I love, uh, I love some of the topics that uh, we're gonna 
hopefully talk about, well, I will talk about, and hopefully I'll be able to be smart enough to comprehend everything you say. <laughs> so let's start, I guess, you know, to uh, let's kind of kick things off maybe with just uh, an introduction as far as your background. I know you're a microbiologist, a molecular biologist. If you want to explain briefly your education and kind of your, your areas of expertise, I guess that's a good kicking off point. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, I'm primarily a microbiologist, molecular biologist. That there's a slight difference in, in with uh, those two uh, fields. Uh, also, I uh, minored in biochemistry, so it all it all is is related. So that was kind of the um, background I come from, the spur of this book because trying to relate uh, those things to um, how evolution occurred, how we got to where we are, um, some of the uh, break, break points, some of the important things uh, that happened during the evolutionary uh, chain. And I find it extremely interesting. Then I wanted to continue the evolution of the biological evolution into social evolution because societies formed and evolved, as we know. Um, they progress forward and and right now they're progressing backward. So, I mean, it's kind of like the stock market. Hopefully it's on an upward trend overall. <laughs> so, uh, so I covered a broad range of topics um, and uh, in introduced uh, the concept of space colonies. I, I didn't introduce the concept, but I went into that concept and developed some ideas there. So, yeah, so and the book, The Evolution of Life, Big Bang to Space Colonies, uh, and you can find that on Amazon, and the link's going to be in the show notes, listener. Um, I, I love the idea behind it, because you start, I mean, you start talking about before human life was a thing, <laughs> and obviously then you take it into the future, which is, uh, I, I like that you kind of cover both both ends of it. Um, as opposed to just one or the other. I think it kind of helps bring everything a little more full circle, to me at least. Yes, that, well, that was kind of my goal, and it was a personal, uh, kind of a personal journey, because when you, when you are um, in your classes studying your field, your academics, uh, you're focused down on specific areas, and what's lacking in that process is a broad view everything. <laughs> so I retired 12 years ago, and uh, I spent a lot of time having fun traveling and everything. And finally, COVID hit. And I needed something to do on lockdown. So I basically started this this book, and uh, recently published. And now I'm getting ready, probably in the spring to publish a spinoff from that, which will not be on will will be fiction will be a novel. And it's about space colonies. And it's also about a dystopian Earth, maybe two or 300 years in the future. So. I, I'm already interested in, <laughs> in that. I'm, uh, you're, you're, uh, you're talking to your audience right here with that kind of topic. <laughs> um, let's, uh, I, I definitely, anyone who, who's listened to me from really the beginning will know that I'm going to want to talk about space colonies in the future, but before we get to that, let's start with the appetizer. <laughs> let's start with the beginning of human life. <laughs> um, 
there's there's the Big Bang. Um, I think everyone's relatively familiar, if not with the science, at least with the concept of, of the Big Bang. Um, now, one thing... Um, uh, I'm curious of with... And I don't know that this relates to the Big Bang or not, so I'll, I'll kind of talk some nonsense and see if you can sort it out on the back end. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think the question... A lot of people I've spoken to have, and a lot of these people are not maybe science-based, but a little more paranormal-based. But um, with the Big Bang Theory, I'm not going to even go into the, the God aspect, the creator aspect of it, because I don't think that's necessarily relevant, at least to our discussion. But some people think that this event happened, and humans and the Earth was the perfect scientific place to for life to to grow and develop and we might be the only one in the universe um i guess my question to you and not that obviously we we necessarily know the answer to this it, it's speculative i suppose but the big bang theory presumably could have created a gazillion different earths throughout the universe that we haven't discovered yet um what are your i guess what are your thoughts on all of that gobbledygook i just spit out <laughs> um i i think i would like to you know some people they they wonder why did i start with the big bang and you kind of alluded to that and that the big bang and the kind of universe that it formed uh the elements and and their properties made life possible okay there are other, lots of infinite possibilities that's what physicists tell us i, I don't know personally but there are infinite possibilities. So we, um, so that set the ball rolling. Now, what happened after that um, evolved as the earth, as the universe evolved and cooled, uh, so did matter. And matter would be uh, congealed, became more complex, uh, and and formed uh, the molecules, pre-life molecules, and so forth, and eventually. And it formed life, and uh, scientists believe that life probably formed in many places in the universe, because in the clouds, in the cosmos, in other galaxies, we see clouds of of organic uh, molecules and DNA, nucleic acid precursor molecules, sugars. I mean, urea. <laughs> Some of these things we, we associate with life, but they're floating out there in clouds and they come down in rain on a moon or on a, you know, a planet under the right uh, conditions and start forming more complex molecules, which eventually could lead to life. Now, the unique thing about our situation, I believe, is we have a, you have to look at it as we have an earth moon, earth moon, um, binary that probably is the reason why we exist for a number of reasons okay if you look at um complex life and intelligent life like ours would most of us are intelligent uh, <laughs> would um uh take take billions of years to to evolve so life could start in many places but could it evolve very far would the conditions conducive to life last for billions of years? And probably not. Our Earth is unique. As far as we know, there's no other system like the Earth-Moon system. 
So we may in fact be unique in the universe. Uh, the, the, the Earth and Moon resulted from a collision of two planets, the proto-Earth and a planet that they call, about Mars size, they call Theia. And Theia was about, uh, was, in, was in the orbital path of Earth. And it was at a balance point gravitationally and uh, with Earth and the Sun. And was probably tipped off of that by uh, Jupiter or Venus, you know, by the gravitational perturbations and collided with Earth and ended up forming the Earth and Moon. And they've done mathematical models of that and backtracked. And it, and it shows it kind of in reverse, like if you run a movie film backwards, and it shows this Moon colliding with the Earth and it, it, pretty amazing thing. Well, as a result of that, the density of Earth is higher than it should be. It's actually higher than Venus. So as the planets go from the outer planets to the inner planets, they become more dense. They have more iron ores and heavy metals and all that stuff. Earth is a little more dense than Venus. It should be less, I mean, than uh, uh, Mercury. It should be less dense than Venus, but it is the most dense planet in our solar system because the moon when it collided or Thea when it collided with the earth gave up a lot of its heaviest metals so we have a iron nickel core with a lot of radioactivity uh, active material that keeps it hot and, and the interior of the earth is actually hotter than the surface of the sun that happens uh, to keep uh, plate tectonics in motion which is a part of the carbon. There's a whole sequence of events that result from that and allowed the Earth to have a relatively stable uh, environment for billions of years. We have lots of extinctions. We had a lot of events. The dinosaurs died out. There was, you know, uh, asteroid collision and all of that. But still, the stability was long, long term. So that's kind of the point of the book. We are maybe unique. So we should value ourselves and we should value our Earth. Yeah, well, it's yeah. I mean, the the mathematical odds are, are of all of that happening to a single planet. Yeah, I could see how someone would say it's possible we're the only ones like this. Right. I mean, we probably will never know. But, but. It is it possible um now again obviously there there's a caveat i'm sure of well other galaxies far far away science and elements might be different than what we experience on earth um is it possible that there is life elsewhere that did not form with obviously again it was like the perfect storm of earth having that hot core um all life is carbon based on earth do you need carbon? You know, it, again, obviously, this is all hypothetical. Yeah. But <laughs> well, you can only go with what we know uh, here on Earth, but we do know that the elements are the same throughout the universe. There's no unique element. And in the book, I kind of I have a periodic table of the elements. Most people have seen it; they may not understand it, but if you really kind of get into a little bit of how the table was organized. All the elements are on the table. There's no room to squeeze one in between <laughs> two other elements. They just, that's 
those are the only possibilities. So you're dealing with the same building blocks throughout the universe. And carbon, carbon is unique. And I, I go through that a little bit on the book. I mean, I'm trying to hit the high points, but um, no, I believe, and most scientists will support that, uh, that carbon-based life is the only possibility. Uh, silicon being the second, you know, say the runner-up, uh, the, the honorary mention, um, can form, yeah, maybe a few hundred molecules. And most of the long-chain silicon molecules with the element silicon uh, make um, silicone, which is long chains, which looks like rubber, you know, you see them in the kitchen and so forth. Um, that's a silicon, oxygen, silicon, oxygen chain. It's not silicon all the way through. They can't, they don't have the strong enough bonds. Carbon is the only one that does. So life would have to be carbon-based. Okay, saying that, it would also require water and water has some unique properties. So, but would it resemble us? Uh, it, you know, if you look at life or if you, in the oceans, there, just about every possibility is, has developed in the oceans because they're yeah. pretty much gravity free. And so there's life without skeletons, life with sedentary animals, all kinds of, everything has been explored or developed. Every niche has been, has been exploited in the ocean. So, you know, there's a lot of possibilities, uh, but what can crawl out of the ocean onto the land, you start to say, well, the only thing that can crawl out are bottom dwellers, crustaceans, crabs, that, that kind of thing. So we have insects um, and bony fish, the um, uh, skeletal, uh, they have the skeletal uh, support and fish uh, have a flotation batter, bladder filled with air to adjust their their level in the in the water where they where they thrive and they have flippers pectoral flippers that they can kind of crawl up on the on the shores so the only two uh and, and, well aside from plants the only two things and of course plants had to grow on on the land first but and uh, those those were probably lichens. The only two things were uh, evolved from insects, or, or I mean, from crustaceans, and from fish, bony fish. So every animal on the planet, every walking, crawling, slithering animal, uh, evolved from fish, and every flying insect and and those animals came from uh, came from the bottom dwellers. So on any other planet, um, you're going to have autotrophs, which are the plants that take the energy from the sun. And you have to have that component because the rest of us eat, eat the energy from the plants. Right. So you're going to have, say you have life on some other system. And if it uh, thrives on the land, you're going to have plants. If it thrives only in seas, you still have plants, uh, you know, that they eat ultimately at the bottom of the food chain. And many of those are, are microscopic, like uh, diatoms and, and all of those things that the whales eat, you know, the, <laughs> the tiniest. So they depend on sunlight. So, so life like that is possible in many, many places. 
the, the, the problem occurs when you, you start to crawl onto the land and you face radiation, um, freezing, you know, desiccation, drying out, uh, you have to protect your, you need a skeleton that supports yourself. The plants, the first plants were, uh, were um, the blue-green algae, they had no structure, they had no support structure, so they could slime onto the rocks, but they couldn't grow, they couldn't grow at all, they couldn't take advantage of the, of the environment. So it wasn't until um, the cells formed a, a, a rigid cell wall system and could uh, support themselves that they could grow into trees and bushes and stuff on the land. So, is, so I think life is prevalent, but intelligent life, uh, especially tech, technological uh, intelligent, you can't develop technology in the sea, under the water. You have to have a fire, you have to smelt metals. Pretty difficult to do underwater. <laughs> I would think if, if they could do it, they're much smarter than <laughs> then they deserve to rule the universe, <laughs> <laughs> right? Is um so while you're saying all that, I'm I, I feel like one of the preconditions for a planet that could even foster life would have to be a temperate climate. Like it has to have a consistent orbit around a sun that is close enough to provide enough heat. Right, that's called life. the Goldilocks zone. Right. So there's a Goldilocks zone, and we're on the, the Earth is on the inner, um, the inner part of that ring of that zone, and Mars is just beyond the zone, and Venus, of course, is and Mercury are with are too close. Mm -hmm. So there's a zone around um, every star. There's a zone. In fact, there's a Goldilocks zone around our own galaxy. So uh, uh, life couldn't exist too close to the center of a galaxy or too far out. So the elements of life are, are in, a, in a zone around the galaxy that is far enough so that the radiation from the black hole in the center and the exploding stars and the density of stars and supernova and all that stuff isn't going to destroy life. So where we are in our galaxy, I have a... I have a I have a painting of, a, of our galaxy on the wall, and I have little <laughs> tags measuring where everything is. We're in a very remote uh, part of our galaxy where the star density is very low. If Alpha Centauri was um, had a possibility of turning supernova, which it doesn't, but if it did, and it went supernova, it would destroy life on Earth. The radiation is so intense. So you have to have a, a lower star density of a certain of, of not supermassive stars those are the ones that collapse and form supernova with no, none of those around so there are a lot of conditions <laughs> to to uh, fall into place and we look at our situation and this is where people say how could this happen without uh, an intelligence driving the force um so i can understand what well, we understand the origins of religion through superstition and people not tribes and cavemen not understanding their environment and what's happened what caused the earthquake or uh you know what caused the tornado or whatever they ascribe those things to uh, deities so that's understandable but even today there's so much uh mystery that even science doesn't understand 
it's easy to fall back and say, you know, some intelligent being created this and I'm done with it. I don't have to think about it anymore. But my question has always come back to, well, who created this super intelligent being? You know, you're saying it's too complex to have evolved, and yet here you have something even more complex that you don't explain how that was created. So kind of a circular argument. Right. Yeah. And it's it's one that uh, I, I don't think will ever be solved. I don't know that it's possible oh. to solve it, you know. <laughs> No, you're never going to have a definitive answer. And uh, I think it's interesting. There are two, uh, as far as religion is concerned, uh, there's a deist and a theist. And I didn't know this until fairly recently. The deist feels like there was a God who set the, caused the Big Bang and then stepped back and let everything evolve. <laughs> so, so because what caused the Big Bang? Who knows? Uh, and then, of course, there's all of theists with all of their concepts of, uh, of God and what God might be. Right, yeah. Actively uh, actively uh, aiding and abetting situations on, right. on Earth. And, and whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, yeah, again, I guess science will never prove it. <laughs> there might be a reason, but <laughs> oh, and, yeah, I think that's fine. Uh, I've I, I, People have the right to believe what they want, but my my feeling is uh, decisions, especially on technical matters, should be left to the knowledge should be knowledge based rather than theology based. So in in our history, we had a lot of decisions that were theology based, more so in the past than the present. But it has an impact or an influence, not always with a good outcome. Uh, Salem witch trials were were not. They didn't have good outcomes. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a very interesting, I know this kind of veers away from science, but I guess more social science. It's very interesting because it's the, the. I think sometimes you can argue the best things and developments as far as society and culture and, and uh, caring for each other developed out of religion. But there's also been some horrible atrocities. Uh, so it's oh. one of those things. It's like, boy, the, the ones who do the good stuff are great. Then there's the other side. You can say the same for technology. You know? Yeah. You can say the same for technology. There's, it's a double-edged sword all the way. And religion was, uh, was the foundation of societies. So how do you get together um, a society of a million people? Uh, they have to, tr they don't, you can't know everybody, so you have to trust them on some level. If you have a common religion, you unite around that religion and society forms. So that is part of the evolution of societies. Unfortunately, two different societies would evolve different religions, and then there's a, a conflict. So, and, and who's to say who's right, <laughs> you know? Right. Is it quite few? Uh, so one question that has been asked me is, do you think it's possible that humans are advanced enough socially to be able to form societies in space? It would be close-knit societies. They would have to be, you couldn't have a terrorist, for example, or you couldn't have a psychopath running through one of these colonies with 10,000 people, you know. Um, that That is a, that is a, uh, a bit of a problem because you couldn't put society in general in space to start this program out. 
So you would have to select, there would have to be a screening process and it would be based on, of course, talent, you know, the talents or the skills you needed for a particular, uh, say, space island. And you would need the social screening, the psychological screening, maybe even CT scans on your brain to make sure you're not a sociopath or a psychopath. Um, and then just, are you all compatible? You know, is there, is there some aberration that's not going to work because you're going to be confined and there's nowhere to get up. You can't get away. You're in this colony. Right. And you know, you want to, want to leave your family or something. How are you going to do that? So that the initial process would probably be, um, you know, pretty rigid screening. And uh, the, the analysis I use is, or the analogy I use is um, when the space program was first formed uh, um, to the project to put a man on the moon with NASA, he, they assembled a team of engineers. Of course, they didn't have psychologists, psychiatrists, and sociologists and all this stuff. Um, it was all engineering and um, medicine. But it was dedicated to a goal, and they all had the, they all spoke the same language, and um, it was highly successful. And when Apollo thirteen happened, if you ever have seen the movie? It's it's pretty great. Mm -hmm. um, it was a series of actions. They never they never had a final solution, kind of like evolution. You solve this problem, you overcome this obstacle, and then you look to the next one. And even if you don't see a solution for the end, for the end uh, result, by your small steps and solutions, you may get there. Well, you may not, but you don't have a choice. And uh, so the team came together with a focus, and they uh, brought these men back alive, which was very um, improbable. Uh, you know, they had everything had to fit. They had to come up with the right solution and so forth. So my my thought is, if you put a society and space to, to start building these things, they would have to all be pretty much on the same page and very compatible. Yeah. And you couldn't, you couldn't just throw the general public up there. Now, culturally, uh, racially, and I don't, I don't believe in racial races. We're all, we're all part of the same DNA, DNA pool, mm -hmm. but culturally there are a lot of differences and, um, and well, you wouldn't differentiate them on that basis. You would strictly be on skill set and ability and compatibility. And so you would have probably a pretty diverse uh, uh, society. But anyway, I'm developing that concept a little bit more in a 200 or 300 years from now. <laughs> yeah, well, it it would be so, because I, I think of the the, uh, I don't want to say political or economic state that it would be, but you would have to, I mean, intelligence-wise, everyone would have to at least be intelligent in their area of ability at an equal level. Yeah, everybody kind of have to pull their weight. Um, yeah, and that's going to be tough to, you know. <laughs> and socially, here's, here's another thing. Um, we have McMansions and, and mega yachts and you know, all of the symbols of superpower that, that, uh, that wealthy people try to amass as for whatever reason. 
Well, those things go away in a space colony. You're mm -hmm. pretty level. You may have more social benefits if your position is, your role is more significant or whatever, but it's not going to be expressed in material things. And um, our society, our capitalistic society depends on credit investors um well that wouldn't work either uh because you could not afford to have a, a company like pg&e for example i don't know if you're familiar with pg&e but it's been convicted as being a criminal company because of its uh, neglect of of maintenance causing all deaths and explosions and forest fires and <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, so it was that was actually convicted as you know, corporations are persons. So it was convicted. It's a it's a it's a criminal corporation. They're trying to dig themselves out of tons of lawsuits and they went through bankruptcy. They represent the stockholders. So they they minimize their service and maximize the profits to keep their their shareholders uh, happy. And that's how capitalism works. But when you have a critical service like like uh, like PGD like your like your utility services you can't the motivation or has to be to serve the public that it was intended to serve not somebody's profit well that wouldn't work in in these space colonies so you wouldn't our capitalistic system would not would you know it would be more like uh, I don't know if you're familiar with an Israeli kibbutz Kibbutz no. is a, a village, and usually it's uh, high school and maybe beginning college students, and they live in a colony, and they it's they they share uh, work, they share farming, they share all of the tasks. They they it, it, part of it's schooling, and it's uh, it's kind of a coming of age uh, thing where they learn to work together and so forth before they go out into society. Um, there's no money. There's no, you know, you go to the cafeteria, you get your food, whatever you want, you know, whatever's available. And it's based on what you farmed and grew and, and prepare and all of that. Well, they would have to operate somewhat like that. Uh, we have all the technology and uh, I'm using robots a whole lot. <laughs> That's oh, not, yeah. Uh, you don't want to go into, you don't want to go outside your, uh, your, your space uh, colony and do any repairs or you want to do any manufacturing out there or moving asteroids around to bring them in to, to mine them. So you want robots to do all that stuff. And, you know, we have the, we have that technology. It's a matter of building it, but we have the knowledge. So, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's an interesting conundrum because it's find the people who would be willing to do it and be happy to do it and be skilled well, enough be, to do it. I think there is an element in society that would be very excited about that. Um, I'm too old to do, do that. <laughs> so I'll write about it. But uh, yeah, there's uh, <laughs> definitely people who would, who would want to do that. But if you really picture it, um, I mean, I get island fever. If I'm on an island too long, and I get to know every part of it, I feel like I'm trapped. I want to get off. I'm used to a big continent, you know, where we have plenty of room. So you can you can imagine yourself being in a, a tin can that's uh, two kilometers in diameter and three or four kilometers long. This is pretty big. I mean, but it's out in space and you have 
10,000 people living there. And that's it. You're there. You're in this can and you don't go anywhere. So you build an archipelago. You build a group of them together. And then you can travel between them. So each one is different. So you get tired, bored, you need a vacation, you need a holiday. You know, you go to a different one. And uh, we need variety in our lives. And we need, um, we need earth venues. We need forest. We need water sports, swimming. We need, we need the ocean. I mean, the, the, this is what we grew up with, what we evolved with. Um, so you need to incorporate as much of that into these societies as possible. And uh, is, it's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, thought problem. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, you know, I, I think of two things. There's, there's like the Star Trek version where they just have the holodecks, yeah. you know, which I, I guess virtual reality keeps taking major steps, but I don't know how... <laughs> Well, yeah, I use part of that. I use that a bit because of the confining space. So um, there's a spaceship and, and all these spaceships r rotate um, to create one gravity. Mm -hmm. we, we have to, we need one gravity. There, there are consequences if we don't, we don't live under one gravity that I don't think we'd be comfortable with. So it rotates. And uh, this spaceship is traveling to... Um, uh, the asteroid belt and it has passengers on it and it's like a big ferris it's like a tube with a big ferris wheel mounted on one end and the motors the rockets on the other end and it rotates like a ferris wheel to create one gravity and there are different compartments around this ferris wheel and uh, you know there's a there's a there's a kitchen there's individual quarters where you where you sleep and live and kind of personal time and uh, there's a gym and there's a theater so the theater uh, projects on the wall whatever you want and it's I just got back from Disneyland with my uh, grandkids and uh, it it has you know it, it can shake and move like like <laughs> Star Wars ride to right. do a virtual sensation that you're going on a roller coaster for example or whatever the whatever it is so you can incorporate those kinds of things, which would be substitutes for the holodeck uh, that that would that would actually work. And so, but you but the, but he put the holodeck on this on the Enterprise for the very reason that you needed to get out of this this uh, machine. Yeah. You needed to get into a, an Earth-like environment of whatever kind, and um, that was that was his answer to. Uh, but Gene Roddenberry, when he, well, no, I, I, he didn't develop that. That wasn't in the first series. Was it? No. I don't think, I know it was in the next generation. Yeah, at I think least. that's where it started. But it was his ideas that, um, yeah, you had. Uh, so even on Star Trek, there's no monetary system. Right. Uh, you know, the status is, is by rank and function and, and you're, relationship to other you know other passengers so it's uh uh weird thing so i was looking um i know you had in your book you you mentioned the design of the spaceships and uh i i did not uh, i'm not i wasn't familiar with either 
um, the Taurus wheel, which very hard to find any information of that online, thanks to the Ford Taurus. Um, and <laughs> there's there's the uh, O'Neill cylinder, which is easier to find. I did want to show you this, and the, I may edit this out of the episode. I feel like this is something I drew four years ago from a dream where I got abducted by aliens. I feel like this looks pretty similar to what you were describing. It's very light. I don't know if you can see it. Uh, it's the cylinder yeah, with the spinny thing here. Yeah. And the engine's down here. And I'm like, that's what he's describing. It's the that's weirdest awesome. thing that that was. Well, um, <laughs> you can find a, a beautiful uh, Taurus, double Taurus frame, if you watch the movie 2001. So you can find that somewhere. It was, it, it was released uh, back in the 80s, I think 80s. And it was uh, Arthur C. Clarke and um oh who else i can't remember but anyway it was based on his his book and the scene where this uh, spaceship is is going up to to dock with this taurus wheel in the center in the axis it's turning and the spaceship comes up and starts to turn and goes into the dock goes into the the landing port which isn't practical you'd have a docking port where you would connect you know make a seal but it's a beautiful you know one wheel is complete and the second wheel is under construction so you have the framework on it you uh you could probably look up pictures of uh of uh 2001 it would probably show you uh, probably show you a picture of the taurus wheel the cylinder was a invention or a concept by dr o'neill who was a physicist and um and he had a number of ideas he was exploring. Uh, one of them was the uh, mass driver. Have you heard of a mass driver? No. Okay. I use in the book an example of a roller coaster in a California adventure, Disneyland. And it, it's a magnetic, a linear magnetic motor is essentially what it is. So it's a series of magnets and electrical charge that sequentially add energy to the, in this case, the roller coaster to accelerate it. So that roller coaster goes from zero to 50 in, um, you know, five seconds or something. Nice, nice acceleration. Well, a mass drive, that's what a mass driver is. It's, it's a, it's a basket or, or something that's going to launch, uh, a, a mass <laughs> and it's magnetically drawn, uh, driven. So our aircraft carriers, vintage ones, and most of them existing today, have a steam catapult. So steam drives the, the launcher that helps the jet get off the deck, get enough acceleration to fly off the deck. It also has its afterburners on and so forth. It takes a lot of acceleration to fly. Uh, the newer carriers have uh, a mass driver, an electromagnetic linear mass driver. And so they can program, different airframes can take different stresses. So they can program this thing to uh, the different specs for the different aircraft. And it's a matter of pushing a button, hooking the aircraft up, push it, pushing the appropriate button, and it launches immediately thereafter. You don't have to recharge your steam or anything. Immediately thereafter, you can hook up a different aircraft and off they go. So that's a mass driver. So NASA has, uh, and Dr. O'Neill proposed this uh, mass driver. NASA has a drawing 
And you can look at uh, NASA's uh, website and they have all tons of pictures. They might, they might even have a Taurus ring, I don't remember. But they do have a picture of a, of a concept drawing on the South Pole of the Moon where they want to put a base. And it shows a mass driver. And the mass driver on the moon with one six gravity can actually launch heavy objects into orbit without a rocket. And so the idea is you mine the moon, you get these big, big rocks or whatever you want to process or take somewhere else and you launch them into orbit. And then you have a spaceship that just goes around and picks them up. So that's uh, yeah, you can find all kinds of things on the NASA website. I use some of their pictures in my book, in fact. Yeah, they. Uh, I, I'm. I'm making. I, I'm making a list here of the different kind of people you oh. need on this space calendar. I got Disney. Disney. Disney engineers are needed. The people who design those rides, you definitely right. need to hire them. To... <laughs> yeah, there you go. So that's a skill set. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Get hire them away from Disney. Uh, need a lot of botanists to grow food. I feel like. Um, Hydroponics. Uh, you know, NASA's uh, actually. Uh, have some uh, developing some uh, test systems for Mars when they get to Mars to to grow food to, to set up uh, um, food supply because you're you're not going to rely on stuff coming from Earth. You know, the ships. Right. Did you see the movie The Martian? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, where he had to, he grew of, potatoes. That, yeah, that kind of uh, that kind of shows how hostile that environment is. Now, not everything in that movie was scientifically accurate, but but it, the, the gist of it was. Well, and now I, you said in your book, and this actually segues nicely into something I've talked about probably as far back as I've podcasted. Um, I, I With non-scientists, with comedians, I would bring this thing up. I don't know why. I, it came up a gazillion times, and in the beginning, I'm like, oh, I'm so smart. Um come to realize it's it's pretty pretty common line of thinking with with uh you know science people but i always say you know planetary living is for species that plan to go extinct because at some point your planet no matter how well you take care of it the sun's going to burn out you know obviously we might be talking millions of years whatever down the road but you always for the species to continue you have to be able to be mobile and not just rely on one planet. Away. You have to get away from that star that's supported in, yeah, yeah, eventually, if, if long-term survival. Right. The, sun, uh, the fusion reaction that occurs on the sun is two hydrogen atoms fuse to form a helium atom. Now, the mass of the helium atom is less than the sum of the two hydrogen atoms. So that extra mass is expelled as energy. And that's where that's the you know, that's the whole process of, su of fusion, uh, and it occurs at higher at higher elements too. But our sun is helium, hydrogen, helium. As that reaction occurs, there's a sphere. There's an interface, so it's a sphere. It's a round ball, and as that reaction uh, uh, continues, helium develops on the inside of the sphere, and it gradually expands. And the surface area of the reaction increases because it's like blowing up a balloon, the surface area gets bigger. 
So the output of the sun gradually gets, you know, it gets hotter and hotter, it puts out more and more energy until finally at a critical stage, it expands out to maybe Earth's orbit and we're toast. And, yeah. uh, and then it contracts to a white dwarf. So this is the process of a sun our size. And if you're in these colonies, um, it's a long time in coming. So you, you would have a chance to move away, perhaps even to, even to come back afterward when, the, when it's a white dwarf and orbit closer in. I don't know, but I mean, at least you're, you're not stuck on a planet <laughs> waiting for your, for your doom. So yeah, you're right. Is that part of, uh, is that part of the reason you don't think we'll colonize the moon or Mars? Because... I mean, obviously, it's not a long-term solution, even if we did, because no. they're going to face yeah. the same problems Earth would. No, my my reason is totally different, and that is, um, we will we will have bases there where you rotate people on and off. Mm -hmm. But colonization implies long-term habitation, mm -hmm. and uh, you're we're, we're going to lose. We're going to have bone loss. We're going to have organ changes. If, long term if we live on and reproduce on these uh, on mars or the moon or you know anywhere else that isn't earth uh we it, we're going to adapt gradually to that to, to that uh, gravity and we will never return to earth um in space um uh scott uh what was his first name anyway who spent a year up there and his twin twin brother was on earth and they wanted to compare the, the two of them after he spent a year on the space station. Uh, and he had significant bone loss <clears throat> mm -hmm. and they find you can do exercises and so forth. You still have, you can't mitigate the whole thing. And the bone loss is in the gravity, the weight bearing bones. So it's the hip pelvic girdle, the femur, the, you know, the bones of the leg and leg and feet. And, uh, you start to lose lose uh, lose a lot of structure in your bone and support, so you would have to rotate people off of a moon base, off of a Mars base, into a one gravity. You would do therapeutic sessions. So that's part of my novel that I'm writing. Is there's a Mars base? A lot of people are mostly scientists, and then they there's an orbiter um, that that produces one one gravity, and they periodically go up for a holiday. And they have spas and they have restaurants and they have entertainment and theaters, live theater. They have all, it's a, it's a holiday and you spend time up there, uh, you know, kind of recouping from, from the, the re reduced gravity. Now there's no medical studies, of course, to, to make, uh, prove this to be uh, required. It's something I made up, but it's probable, you know, let's put it that way. So that's why I don't think uh, we will have what's called permanent settlements. We can have permanent bases. And the only place we can recreate any semblance of earth conditions is in, in these rotating cylinders. So a physicist would tell you, well, you, you cannot tell the difference between if you were in a rocket ship accelerating at one gravity, Okay, so it felt like you're one gravity. There is no instrument uh, possible that can differentiate that from one gravity on Earth. The acceleration is identical. The problem is, is you can't accelerate forever. 
So we are accelerating toward the center of our Earth forever because the matter of the Earth is resisting that acceleration. And the only other way we can create one gravity is with centripetal force, which is centrifugal when you mm -hmm. when you rotate. So those are our two options. Actually, one option. <laughs> and to keep our physiology intact, we would have to live permanently or, or most of our time in one gravity. My thesis, but uh, supported yeah. by evidence. Right, and it would take, I mean... Presumably, if you if you reproduce long enough, I would assume there'd be some sort of evolution of of the. Yeah, there'd be. But a, it would be lifetimes of torture. I feel like in in between, wouldn't there? Well, it's called genetic drift, um, and 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 that's what led to led to the. Um, uh, well, that wasn't no. That didn't lead to the so-called braces. That was genetic isolation. That was genetic pools that lost contact with each other, which are now coming all coming back together. You know, there are societies that are still isolated and still um, uh, don't have the high, high diversity. But on Earth, it's getting more and more mixed up, more and more inter, inter, interracial marriages um, um, from different cultures and so forth. And that's a good thing. It makes the species stronger, but that would have to be maintained in uh, space colonies as well. And I, I talk about that a little bit in the <laughs> in the novel that I'm writing. But. Yeah, and uh, before I I let you go, I want to I obviously give a plug to the book you had written. And was this your first book? Yeah. Right. Yeah, so there's the evolution of life, Big Bang to space colonies. Um, we we touched on maybe a few high points, but this is a uh, what 350 page book or something. We did not get yeah. close to touching on everything. <laughs> um, no, there's there's a lot of information. <laughs> no, and and this stuff is uh, especially the eventual turn to, you know, unfortunately it may be uh, after both of our lifetimes. But, but the eventual uh, space colonies and stuff like that, it's just, it's exciting to think about. Um, and you said you expect your novel, the fiction novel, you expect that to be this year? Uh, this spring, yeah, late spring maybe. Um, it's just about finished and it has to go through a series of uh, editing, editing reviews. And um, uh, you, you, you're amazed at how much you find when you go back through it with an editor you go holy crap you know and you have to correct all a bunch of stuff <laughs> so it's another process but i i anticipate uh, sometime this spring and i will be releasing um some chapters chapter by chapter uh of uh, first draft on my uh, blog that i haven't started yet <laughs> which is which is almost almost set up right now uh but it's not quite complete and so I'll be doing a weekly blog, uh, producing probably some other short articles and, and some chapters. And I'll, I'll do an introduction as to what the chapter is about or what, you know, a little bit of background on the chapter and then put the chapter in there. So uh, that, that should be fine. And, I, and I'm hoping to get feedback. Um, that way I can see what, what people, how people are reacting to different ideas. And, Excellent. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll check that out. Definitely let me know 
when uh, when you start doing that, and we'll. Uh, uh, I'm 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 looking forward already to uh, to to reading the book. You might it might be the first book I read this year. Um, <laughs> it says more about me than you, but uh, is is there anywhere uh, anywhere else people should uh, my listeners should look to find you, Richard? Um, yeah, let me see. I just wrote some stuff down because it's all being set up. But my um, uh. Outlook office uh, email is richardmandersonauthor.com um, oh, at, uh, at msn.com, I guess I missed that. And um, I have uh, Richard Anderson Author on Facebook. And there's a lot of stuff that's been posted on there. That's been up for almost a year um, with information. And um, Amazon, of course, is, you know, you can look up the book on Amazon and, and there's, uh, you, you know, they give you a few pages to read or, or something. But, the, but my, uh, right now, my Facebook account has most information about it, has a lot of information and, and some quotes from the book. I have a marketing person and she, I don't have time to do all that. She puts it on there. <laughs> Good. Good. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll link all that in the... Uh in the show notes um yeah this this was uh fun hopefully i was i was uh intelligent enough to hold up my end of the discussion (laughs) oh you did absolutely absolutely it's a conceptual we don't have to understand all the nitty-gritty so to to understand the ideas yeah right right no this this is fun and i can't wait for the book and uh yeah i'm uh i'm i'm excited to read it thanks so much for coming on with me richard Oh, you're welcome. It's fun. That's it. That's all. Hope you had a ball. Thank you, Richard Anderson, for the education. Um, that's a that's a couple in a row. Uh, guests I've had uh, between Noah Healy and Richard Anderson, uh, intelligent fellas talking about intelligent topics. I uh, got another intelligent episode next week, and we talk about um, a couple things that are a lot more laid back. Uh, we talk about uh, this guy was a professional rodeo uh, athlete, uh, you know, riding the bulls and all that stuff. Uh, he was a pilot, uh, an actor, um, and then uh, we dive into the deep topic which was his granddaughter at age 15 uh committed suicide so we we dive into mental health on the back end uh of the podcast next week uh so make sure you tune in for that one got some other great guests lined up for you i think i've got two or three more lined up uh after next week already so we're rocking and rolling hey if you think of someone who would make a great guest don't feel don't blah, 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 don't be afraid to reach out to me or or if you know the person that you want to be a guest reach out to them and tell them they should hop on the podcast um make my life easier it's so much easier when guests come to me as opposed to me having to hunt down guests because look i'm trying to find auditions for acting i'm hosting a daily show i'm uh i'm still doing uh comedy sketch acting once a week or every couple weeks with Joe Nolfo uh, on the Joe Nolfo show. 
and I'm a contributor to FL Teams, that great sports website that covers all Florida sports, including college and professional. That's where I have a creatively named podcast, Bolts and Bats in the Bay, covering the winning teams in Tampa Bay, the Lightning and the Rays. So I'm a busy person. I'm also the offensive coordinator uh, for my son's football team and, um, you know, informal and uh, completely unaccepted acting uh, advisor for my daughter. So I am a busy man. I'm also writing so many things. I've got multiple screenplays, television projects, and I'm helping to co-write a couple of things. One is a big audio thing. Uh, and one is, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tease it more when I know more, uh, especially for my audience in New York, I'll say that. Uh, and, uh, I'm just, I'm a busy man. I got a lot of stuff, a lot of, a lot of balls I'm juggling here. So, you know, booking, uh, could come off my plate just a little bit. That wouldn't hurt me. So help, help a brother out and also help by, Hitting the like button, subscribe anywhere you're watching, listening, Twittering, Facebooking, Instagramming, tic-tac-toeing, um, YouTube, whatever. You know the drill. Rate them on IMDb and on Spotify, Apple, whatever you listen to me on. And uh, boom, it's over. for listening it was amazing <laughs> i i loved it be sure to come back for another great episode i'm one wing away from jeff macalino of the jeff macalino podcast how much time did you spend on thinking of the name of your podcast you want to just straight that's my name i'll add the word podcast to it yep see you next week